Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely. With me, as always, is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Friday, June 24th, and today we're going to lead off by talking about, uh, I don't know if it's Brexageddon or what is it? Bre- what do you think it is, Brexit, Chris? You know, we actually did a poll, and it was a well-received poll, and... Uh, Brexit getting won by almost the same margin as Leave Beat Remain and over Brexopolis. Brexopolis, okay. Uh, and then after we're done talking about officially Brexit getting, we're going to shift to what would be the biggest news of just about any other week: the uh, potential Tesla Solar City merger. So, yes. Chris, let's kick it off with Brexit getting. Uh, we mentioned it in our podcast from Tuesday night, our June twenty first podcast, and at that time, most polls and prediction markets were suggesting that. Britain was going to stay. Heading into right before all the exit polls were coming out, there was an 80% chance that Britain would stay. And, uh, you know, it kind of defied the expectation of most experts, betting markets, and even the normal bounds of human rationality that uh, Britain voted to leave the euro last night slash this morning. So uh, why don't you kick it off? My, my little church pastor tells me, uh, maybe he feelings the need to tell me in particular that silence is rarely regretful. Of all the things you regret saying, you rarely regret not saying something. And one of the big points I was teed up to make yesterday was the final conquest of prediction by betting markets over pollsters. <laughs> and so that was what I was going to talk about today. It's not what I was going to talk about today, as it turns out. Uh, but the point uh, was that polls, the data wasn't really there yet. It was 50-50. Uh, uh, exit polling is, certain types of polling is yep. banned at the last minute in, in England. And I'll tell you what started to happen. Uh, with 50-50, complete uncertainty, and even the polls that were saying 50-50 had a four or five point margin of error. Uh, the betting markets were... I I saw several different ones that were at 80 to 85 percent that they were going to be remaining. And then people who weren't betting started, and I, and I would say I was guilty of this to some extent, started filling in data points. There were mysterious hedge funds with secret information and so forth. Uh, but as it turns out, the polls were actually about as good as you might have expected. Some people yeah. were a little unhappy. They said 50 50, and then it tipped on one. But Within a couple of percent, yeah. that was about what they were supposed to accomplish. And it's funny. I, I went to uh, – I had a friend's birthday dinner and I went. And when I left, the polls were saying like 80% chance of a stay. Mm-hmm. And then when I, I left the dinner and it was Britain leaves and markets are in free fall. And it, it really shows, you know, I think you even mentioned this a little bit on our podcast on Tuesday. But betting markets are a little bit shallow, right? It's a couple hundred thousand dollars on them at this point. Yes. And I think one point we can take away is in shallow markets, people tend to – uh, vote kind of with what they want to happen. I, I equate it to if you're at a party and uh, you know you're betting on a sports team casually and your team's playing, you might throw ten dollars on your team just because you it's more fun for you. And that's what it is in some of these betting markets. And financial markets of literally trillions of value were moving on hundreds of dollars of bets. Good. There was kind of a famous line from a Manhattan socialite that said, how could this Nixon win? I don't know anybody who voted for him. And the joke was, of course, that said more about her social circles than it said about democracy. Uh, we see two strong examples of this today with, I know, many people in finance who literally know zero Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. Kind of have, you know, It's not that they don't support him personally, but they, they have hundreds of friends and they don't know a single one. Um, I, I would similarly know... Uh, uh, other, if I, I don't know if we get hate mail, but I could start getting some hate mail by saying, other than myself, uh, who was for uh, exiting, I know of almost nobody else. 
Um, and uh, so that the people who have money to bet in these betting markets, I think, don't run in the same circles as the mostly it's a great older, mostly more rural, yep. uh, mostly more low socioeconomic, and mostly working class aren't the people driving prediction markets. Great point. Uh, so I, I think those are great points. Uh, the ramifications of this vote have been immediate and kind of severe. The S&P 500 was down 3%. The pound was down 7.5% against the dollar. European stock markets were decimated, particularly if you kind of look at them based on like a dollar or an equal weighted currency, not just in euro. You know, if mm -hmm. your market's down 5% and the euro's down 5%, your market's actually down 10% in purchasing power. Britain might lose its AAA credit. David Cameron resigned as PM. But I do want to point out that the sell-off might not be as dramatic as you think when you think everybody, all markets had been kind of factoring in a Britain staying vote and they had risen 1% to 2% leading into this vote. So, you know, the S&P 500 down 3% to a lot of extent is just giving back to those gains. Go you, ahead. you saw the whole net move. It's, it's rare that you actually get to see the full unpricing in on one side and repricing in on the other. The pound sterling had the highest and lowest ratio to the U.S. dollar on the same day Yeah, in a very, very long period of time. So it was the, that full spectrum. Um, and uh, I think that the prime minister resigning is one of the lovely things about the British system that we don't have here. If you're trying to lead and nobody's following you, you're not the leader anymore. Yep. So you might as well just admit reality that day, which they do. And, and we were talking about this before. There was a funny Onion article that was like, Americans can't understand a leader who nobody follows anymore resigning instead of like doubling down and right. blaming everyone else. Exactly. But uh, let's talk about opportunity here. And sure. again, you mentioned this on the podcast on Tuesday. At this point, one opportunity could be it's no sure thing that Britain leaves. There are a lot of mechanisms that they could stay. Yes. And if the market's really worried about them leaving and they staying, that would have to be great for them, right? Go ahead. This was actually my favorite outcome. Uh, it's what I, you know, I'm, somebody's going to punch me in the face for saying this. This is what I wanted to happen philosophically, but also I'd say in terms of the opportunity set, I think this is a very easy one to overanalyze. It has become the beginning of a long and tedious multi-year process mm -hmm. of the exit. Uh, you're dealing with... MPs, most of whom who are pro-European Union, mm -hmm. a European Union who, especially after today, are very pro-Britain's uh, involvement, uh, they can offer more, and they can offer enough more that the MPs won't look like they're rejecting the will of the people maybe a year or 18 months from now if they accept a new deal. So the, the analogy I would do is this would be like somebody calling a happily married couple and telling them, hey, there was some technicality with your marriage license. They could work out some reason to decide to be together after all. It, and, and it is funny. There was a Washington Post article that was somewhat hilarious that said, you know, uh, they had a quote from one person who said, I voted for leave, but I never thought it would happen. And if I had to vote again, I'd say stay. And uh, it had Google searches for what happens if we leave EU and even what is the EU, EU were spiking dramatically in the wake. So to some extent, you know, it was a 52-48 vote. That's very close. And you could see how people see the results and might say, oh, if we could get a do back, maybe we would take a do back, especially if the European Union, you know, gives them a couple of little uh, gifts to try and incentivize them. I, I would say it's 
close, but it was also very fractious. A huge amount of the Remain were from separatist groups that mm-hmm. want to also leave the UK. So a huge step forward for leaving the United Kingdom from Northern Ireland and Scotland. And a huge percentage was from the people we probably talked to in the city of London. Uh, and financiers in the city of London, geez, I have friends that go back and forth and sometimes they make this big announcement of moving to New York or London, but it's kind of inconsequential because they live in one or the other, but they're spending the other half of the time and so so the people who are english who are in most of the geography were pretty solidly for leaving yeah uh so let's see uh even if britain leaves uh continuing on the opportunity the other thing i want to say is world risk premium shut up so there's probably some opportunities there and i think one interesting place we've talked about a lot on this podcast is merger arbitrage spread mm-hmm. so this is company a gets offered to get bought out for ten dollars per share their stock will generally trade for like nine ninety as people mm-hmm. factor in the risk the deal doesn't go through. Well, on big sell-off days, their stock trades down to nine dollars and eighty cents. Not because there's any real increased risk that the deal falls through, but just because people are scared. Uh, and some of our favorites include EMC. We mentioned yep. it on our February fifth podcast. It currently trades at about a six point five percent discount to Dell's offer, and that assumes a twenty five percent discount on the VMware. You can listen to the podcast to hear more on that. Ride A trades. That's a great one. Yep. Yeah. Rite Aid trades on the, uh, we mentioned in our March 30th podcast, it trades at over a 15, uh, 16.5% discount actually to Walgreens offer. Market's pricing in a 40% chance the deal's blocked. We think it's more like 10 or 15%. So that's a really interesting one as well. You want to comment on that or? Yeah, no, I think it will uh, get done. Um, I think they're very good. Some of our favorite ones, you could take it well or badly, uh, hung in there fairly well today. So the opportunities didn't get much bigger. I happen to notice cross-border deals tended to blow out more, yeah. even ones that had no, almost nothing to do with the UK. Cross-border deals would be, and as Chris said, not necessarily UK, but a Chinese company especially is buying a US company. That's a cross-border deal instead of US to US, China to US. And, and it's but, not necessarily negative, but uh, just the complexity of the currency imbalance if you have your debt or raising debt on one side and you have your revenue or assets on the other it is complicating to have this tumult in the currency markets. Perfect. So let's wrap up our EU discussion there. Before we go to Tesla Solar City, just a quick request. If you like this podcast, one way to help us and encourage us to take them is by taking the time to rate and review this podcast. We take the time to review every one of the ratings and we appreciate it. We really appreciate it. And I don't know if you knew this, Chris, but we one reason we haven't had to read a lot of ratings recently is we haven't had a rating on iTunes in like a month. And wow. I feel like we've had people listen Go out and rate the podcast. Uh, If anybody has anything nice to say about the quality as well as the volume of my voice, we haven't gotten anything about that. I would just say it's the last, last comment on Europe. Uh, The big next thing is not just the UK process, which will be slow and probably mundane, but contingent to the continent. Will Uh, France leave? I'm poking around looking at real estate in Greece and in Italy, and you might just find a bargain there because the, especially the Mediterranean countries are in real trouble now. Yep, yep. Okay, so let's go to Tesla Solar City. Uh, on Tuesday afternoon, Tesla unveiled an offer to buy Solar City. It's going to be an all-stock deal. Uh, and both companies are, of course, the brainchild of billionaire slash genius Elon Musk. I think he's fantastic. Uh, and... Both companies are his brainchild. Tesla is this the electric car company. Solar City installs uh, electric solar panels on rooftops. Uh, and I'll let you talk a little bit about the merger, or I can kind of dive into it if you want. Elon Musk is just as cool as it gets. Yeah. I mean, 
my line about Elon Musk is the Hyperloop is like the fourth coolest thing he's working on that is cooler than 99.9% of humanity will ever do. Elon Musk is almost literally a like action, a comic book figure yeah. come to life. Iron Man 2, I believe, had Elon Musk, and Iron Man could basically be based on Elon Musk right now. He's this brilliant kind of swashbuckling scientist who's changing everything he touches in the world. He, he, he has brilliant ideas, unlike all but maybe a few hundred people on the planet, but then he does them. Yep. Is he, he's not just an intellectual. He actually builds these things. So um, I'm endlessly a fan of his. I want to say I've never been or almost never been an investor of his. It's not the kind of thing that looks to me like it's undervalued. You know, yeah. that, uh, that kind of handsome billionaire guy is not something that people underrate. Uh, but they've underrated him in terms of the things he's built so far. I, I just didn't see it. I think one thing with this... It, you know, when you have this outlandish idea, maybe there's a 1% chance of it happening. And maybe if you're a brilliant, sophisticated uh, manager, there's a 2% chance. And with Elon Musk, he turns it to 5 or 10% mm-hmm. chance somehow. But a lot of times in the stock market, people, the cult of Elon Musk, it's priced out like it's a 20 or 30 or 40% yeah. chance. So I, I think that's it. But uh, let's talk about the merger. Sure. A lot of people are downing the merger. And you can kind of see the, rational, the rationale. Tesla makes electric car. Solar City make, puts electric panels on people's solar panels on people's roof, and Elon Musk says this gives us a all-in-one clean energy company. So it kind of sounds reasonable, but but as I heard one commentator put, uh, you know, this is the equivalent of Ford going out and buying Cabela's, which sells outdoor things, yeah. and Con Edison, the electric utility, and then saying, look. This is an all-in-one fossil fuel company now, right? You can buy gas-powered cars, natural gas for heat, and kerosene stoves for cooking things. Like, it's, we're an all-in-one fossil fuel company. That's kind of the rationale here, and I'll, I'll let you t- take some thoughts on it. I think I, I don't want to bang on on the same point too much. If I've said it a couple times recently, just the theory of the firm, you can contract for a lot of good things. It does not need to all be in one, one roof. A lot of the rationale he described you don't fail to have it without the deal. And I kept wondering, why do his shareholders on the Tesla side need to pay this big premium for the things that he argued would be uh, good to uh, good to have in the deal? Yep. Uh, no, I agree with you. No, the one thing I could see is uh, both of them are putting a lot of efforts into engineering and R&D on the solar side. So there would probably be synergies to combining those R&D and engineering things. But look, every analyst is asking the same question. Elon Musk has gone on record saying, look through the windscreen, not the rearview mirror. But he's obviously looking through a different windscreen, uh, windshield than everyone else is, which is great. He's a brilliant guy. So far, he's always been proven correctly. But a lot of people are doubting this deal. And, and before uh, too long, you're not going to have to look through either. You can just put your seat back and go to sleep. <laughs> he's part of the self-driving car movement, too. So that's definitely true. Uh, lots of evidence the market doesn't like this deal. Solar City's market cap, even with the premium built in from the offer, is $2 billion, And Tesla lost $3.5 billion in market cap on the offer so people are saying your bid we distrust it so much that we're going to value it like it's a negative value to you and a lot of people think the real reason uh for the merger is desperation solar city kind of needs capital merging with tesla kind of saves some face they don't have to go out and do a very dilutive uh uh offering to raise that capital so i'll let you jump in there or we can go to opportunity whatever you want to talk about uh, i think opportunity Okay, opportunity. To me, uh, the market's doubting a deal gets done. I'm not playing one way or another, but I think if you invest in Tesla, you're investing in Elon Musk and his vision. And I doubt if Elon Musk wants this deal to happen, I doubt any shareholder is going to stop it from happening in the end. Uh, I'll let you take over what you want. Yeah, I just, I, and I am, I'm short, um, I'm short SolarCity. Uh, I'm short a little bit of Tesla, uh, but much more SolarCity. 
Um, and my thought was, if the deal doesn't happen, the stock's in trouble. If it does happen, if he needs to bump especially, I think Tesla will just keep getting beaten up and beaten up. And it's not clear just in dollars, even though they'll get more in shares, that it's going to get much more than this on, in almost any event, unless somebody else comes in. But I don't picture that happening. Yeah, I don't think so. And another thing is, it, you know, these are very high growth, high multiple stocks. And in, in markets like today's, being short anything like this uh, looks very smart. Uh, okay, so I think unless you've got anything like 10 seconds worth of stock or something, let's wrap that up here. Uh, no. Okay, great. So that's it. Uh, just before we hit our disclosures, please be sure to take the time to rate us, iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom. Uh, disclosures. We are both long EMC and Rite Aid. Chris, you mentioned your short Tesla and Solar City as well. I think those are the only stocks we talked about. Anything else? Uh, I think that's it. Do we have five seconds? Go, 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 go. Tesla, which is, uh, as much as I'm short, I'm a huge fan of the things that I'm short, and I think there's immense value to society. It tends to accrue to insiders and then to society in a more differentiated way. I'd love to be a customer. I'd love to have him a fellow member of my species to get us off this planet if things start going really wrong. I just am not sure the outside passive minority investors are the ones who are going to capture the immense value that he's creating. One one person a lot of these like kind of Elon Musk, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, a lot of them have been compared to is Tesla himself. Yes. And I, I believe he died absolutely broke, yeah, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. So I, I don't think any of these guys are going to die broke, but it does just because you're brilliant and have this great vision for the future does not necessarily mean your company is the one who accrues all the profit. Yeah, sure. yeah. I think, you know, I don't have that much of this taste for celebrities, and I think some people own the stock because they want to be involved. Yeah. I don't. I want to short it because I want to make money. Okay, great. That's it. We'll talk to you guys next week.